the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Stock market has had a setback this week. Today, the markets are attempting to claw back some of those losses. The setback that we've had is nothing material. It's nothing but a thing. But it does highlight, it does show, it does underscore, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that there's been some underperformance of the growth-sensitive cyclical sectors. The red, hot, hot, hot treasury sector. Um, IT sector, super hot. Treasury sector, super hot, but for different reasons. When money flows into treasuries, we're like, we're afraid. When money flows into IT, we're like, we're excited. So if I were to guess, it looks like we should have a consolidation. It looks like we should have a pullback. It looks like we should go a little bit lower. I was speaking a little bit earlier with Patrick O'Hara, and he's like, yeah, hitting the 200-day moving average would probably be a good thing, not a bad thing. Like, you don't always want to go up. It's the, I know Jack and the Beanstalk, the Beanstalk went up and up and up and up and up and up. Jack climbed up the Beanstalk and found the Golden Goose. I know the idea is in our head since we were children that higher is better. But moderation in moderation is better in my opinion. But I don't know. You've seen Virgin Galactic and Tesla both spike this year, both with crazy unreasonable valuations that you're looking years down the road. But I I, I can make a case that Tesla's going to be around for years. They're no longer burning money. I'm a little bit worried about Elon Musk because when he says he quits or he retires or he's going to take two years off to make babies with Grimes, I know you're saying, are you knocking a guy for making babies? Eh, A little bit. (laughs) Um, he seems to like younger women, which that's his thing. But an electronic dance music person, an EDM artist, like the age of his kids, seems a little bit like, oh, I don't know if I want my CEO quite, quite not. I, I don't know about it. He came out with an EDM song to impress her. We're thinking that probably he came up with that $420 price target on Tesla, when it was a $280, $320 stock, maybe to make her laugh while he was tweeting, because 420 is code for marijuana. There's just something there, weird there. Like, And again, when you see speculation, you have to say, what are the risks? What if the CEO walks away? He's considered the genius. What if he walks away? What are the risks? What if interest rates go higher and the company's burning money? So you have to kind of like factor a lot of things in. And sometimes I, don't, I forget to tell you, Tesla's interest rate, Tesla is interest rate sensitive. Virgin Galactic, they came public in, I think, October of 2019. It could have been September, but I'm confusing a little bit. Virgin Galactic has got this great business model. 
let's get rich people who want to go to space because they're vain and they can take selfies from of the earth from space. Got it. Actually, I don't ever going to be high enough up when you're a tourist to get a selfie with us. The whole earth. Hey, can we go a little higher? Can we go halfway to the moon? No. But there's a lot of speculation out there. But there's also economic conditions in China, Europe, and Japan that are going to have weak economic conditions. They had weak economic conditions going in compared to the U.S. Now, again, if someone dies in the U.S. or two people, or if we see the number of infections double, like they did in South Korea and Italy, markets are going to go down 1,000, 1,500 points tomorrow. If. Now, again, that's where we get into this crazy game of ifs and buts where candy and nuts, oh, what a party we would have. They're not. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I was doing some research the other day, and um, Corning and Qualcomm have an indoor 5G project. Now, I think if you've ever been in a big building in New York, you're like, my phone stinks. Good internet, wireless internet in big buildings, it's difficult. So at the Mobile World Congress, I know you're saying, what the heck is the Mobile World Congress? Well, it didn't happen. They were originally going to do this big announcement, Corning and Qualcomm. And when I see announcements, I get a little bit nervous because I've been in this industry 20 plus years. I could probably say 25 in about a year or two. Press releases impress the average person. And it can get you into a ton of trouble. Getting 5G signals indoors, especially of the fastest millimeter wave, is a challenge. And to do it would be big business for Qualcomm, big business for Corning. I know you're like, Corning, don't they make glass, Corning? Don't they make chemicals? They kind of do. So the five, they, they make something called Gorilla Glass, which you've probably had on your phone. The Corning-Qualcomm system is going to combine Qualcomm's 5G platform with Corning's tech to enable concurrent beam forming and advanced scheduling and other features. Network operators like Verizon and Vodafone and Orange would potentially look to build out private networks and infrastructure. One of the biggest technical challenges for 5G in buildings is you've got to get it to work indoors. Devices will work a little differently inside than they may have if they have less to overcome. So I look at that as a press release. I don't look at it as earnings. I don't look at it as revenue. I don't look at it as product. I go, I'm glad that they're staying smart and they're staying edgy. And I'll give them a point for that. But when you come up with investing, whether you're buying or selling, you should have 20 or 30 points, right? Apple's dedication to research and development should not be underscored. Qualcomm and Coin spending money on R&D should not be underscored. And you should look at that R&D line on their financials. Is it going up? Is it going down? Tomorrow... Apple could turn off R&D if they wanted to and say, we're just going to milk this puppy for as long as we can. We're going to turn off the engines and, and glide down to Earth. They'd probably make another six, seven, eight billion dollars a year. They're spending a lot of money on people and resources. So you kind of look at it, but then again, you go, that's not going to move. I saw a press release once. It was in the Wall Street Journal, and it was really well done. It was kind of an advertisement, and it told you that, but you didn't really notice it when you looked at it, so you looked at it. 
And it was about this former Lucent engineer who was going to, on July 1st, introduce to the world a new beaming technology that was going to kill DSL and cable modems dead on the spot because this was so much better. And you could go buy the pink sheet. Oh, pink sheets. Do you know what pink sheets are? I don't talk enough about this. I used to. Pink sheets are stocks that aren't strong enough to deserve your attention. And the only reason they're out there, I'm not going to say mafia. I'm not going to say criminals. I'm not going to say boiler rooms. I'm not going to say scams. I'm going to say there's no reason they should be out there. Companies that aren't physically viable to qualify for the NASDAQ, the S&P, the uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average. Um, There's standards to be met on markets. And when you're a pink sheet, it's basically like, yeah, we'll do business with you as long as you're paying to play. So this guy, he, he took out ads in the Wall Street Journal. And as a reader of the Wall Street Journal, you're like, ooh, new technology coming out. I wonder if it's going to kill 10 tech companies. I wonder if I should invest in the pink sheet and turn 35 cents into $25. That would be a great investment. It's just a press release. He never had the technology developed enough to develop it and to sell it. It was just a press release. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. I live in a very expensive part of the world. It's kind of funny because it didn't dawn on me when it was brought up at one point in time. A friend of mine, is she was brought up uh, very blue collar. Her father was a butcher. And um, she goes, I'm not paying $20 for a chicken parm. I'm like, okay. You're, you're being tightwad. I got it. But then I see hamburgers now, $16, $17. I'm like, I'm not paying $17 for a hamburger. There's one restaurant in my town that sells like a French dip, which to me, French dip kind of stands for the steak that didn't sell the night before. We grind it up and turn it into French dip. It's like $18. Wow. But I bring that up in large part because the, the next thought jumps out. I live in an expensive part of the uh, world. I signed up for that. Credit cards may be a helpful tool for consumers. Yes. Keep going. Large number of families fall back on credit cards out of necessity. Listen to this. 69% of families with children. 69 percent of families with children say that they make sacrifices to keep up with their medical expenses. 37% of families rely on credit cards to pay their bills and deal with the aftermath. Now, I'm no rocket scientist. I already said I live in an expensive area. I know that I'm throwing money down the drain. It comes back on the other side of income. You can control a couple things, your income, spending, and saving. Now, the spending, I, I like the idea of saying no to $20 chicken parms, $18 hamburgers. I could probably do the same exact thing. Sit, have a glass of wine, and watch a little television at the home. Of which, that may be the, the, the coronavirus play that you want to get ahead of. Things like Netflix and Disney+. Plus. 
if you think, and there are people out there, I know you're out there, that the coronavirus is going to hit the United States and it's going to hit the United States hard. It's going to hit the uh, California. I know there's people who assume the worst. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not knocking you. But if you wanted to change your portfolio for basically staycationing, and you would like say, I'm not going to, I'm going to short movie theaters because in my neighborhood, no one's going to go to movies because they're all afraid of each other. Or you go with long a Netflix or you go long a Hulu, Disney. Um, do you see where I'm going at with that? So there's ways to benefit if that's your thing. Uh, if you could invest in like a DoorDash or a group, not a Groupon, but you get the idea. Grubhub. But then what if that guy who's cooking my dinner sneezes on it, puts it in a box and sends it to me? I get coronavirus. Yeah, there's, there's really no way about running it. But there was a big play after 9-11 of people not wanting to fly and people not wanting to go out and shop. They were afraid. So there's, there are small investments inside of disasters. And again, if that's the way you want to play, I don't know. Um, credit cards are a great way to earn money, but I just said that one-third of families are relying on credit cards to pay their bills. That's not good. And I, the next thing out of my mouth is credit cards are a great way to earn rewards. Rewards are kind of like faux money. They're kind of like digital money, right? So I like to maximize my rewards as much as possible. But utilization is important to me, too. Utilization speaks to the amount of available credit you use at once. And uh, a ratio of anything above 30% is harmful to your credit score. If you check out the website or the app, excuse me, there's a website too, but that's so 1999 of me. Um, credit Karma has, good, has a pretty good app. I would say that every American over 20 should have Credit Karma on their phone. I'm okay with that. Um, and it gives, it's a nice way of showing you where you are with how much debt you have. It finds your debt, and it doesn't find it all. Like, I've got a business property that it doesn't know about, but that's also not registered under my name. Credit cards are a great way to earn rewards, but again, if you're using them too much over 30%, I keep my utilization right around 8%, um, and then I pay it off every month. I keep the balances you know, so that I'm not accruing interest. Credit cards aren't bad. Credit cards aren't evil. When I was 20, I thought credit cards were evil. And it, it shows you that, isn't, aren't you glad you get smarter as you get older? MasterCard and Visa recommends American Express. Um, what, what am I trying to say, MasterCard and Visa? Oh, um, I would say there's four credit card players, Capital One. Four obvious ones in everyone's mind. Capital One, American Express, Visa, and MasterCard. Now, Visa and MasterCard aren't really credit card companies. Aren't really credit companies. They're processing companies. They're not lending you the money. They're not the bank. They're, they're licensing their technology to the bank. If you go bankrupt, Visa doesn't go bankrupt. If you go bankrupt, MasterCard doesn't go bankrupt. Um, that is what it is. So enough on credit cards, but um, credit karma, credit karma. And you know what I like doing about credit karma? Let's say I go get a $20 chicken parm sandwich today. With fries, sweet potato, because I'm being healthy. <laughs> the trans fats that they're cooked in, I'm not worried about. Um, while I'm doing lunch and I'm spending too much money for it, I could take a look at all my debt. 
I could take a look at things that I'm, I'm, I owe money to, my creditors. And Credit Karma does a nice job of that. It's a little bit late to update. So like if you send in a payment, it's maybe two or three days late sometimes. But I can pull mine out right now and tell you generally, you know, how I'm doing on paying my bills, how I'm doing on. So Credit Karma is good. Credit Karma is good. As far as apps go. And again, that's just a little bit of financial education. If you walk away from the show, if I die of a massive heart attack right now, I want someone to have walked away saying things along the lines of, well, my kid got credit karma and that's a good thing. Or it could be even more complex ideas of, you know, stretch IRAs or mega Roth backdoors, mega Roth backdoor, door, door, door. So you get the idea, right? Uh, I want you to learn one or two things. Starbucks do it beyond meat. That's a for real trend. Plant-based foods. Plant-based proteins, plant-based foods, of course, until we learn that suddenly when you harvest plants that they scream and cry because we can catch it on a radio wave. Bob Iger stepping down at Disney. Whoa. I love Bob Iger. I think he's taking Disney to the 21st century. I think Disney is not the greatest company in the world. I think they charge too much. I think they, I'm not going to say they prey upon kids. But man, are they, they closely tied into children, right? Disney's Bob Iger said, I'm stepping down. Don't want to run the company anymore. He's long tenured, 20 years. He's done 81 earnings calls. Those get a little bit dull. 20 years is a long time. Um, he's going to become, Bob Chapek is going to become CEO. He's been running Disney parks, but he's 60. What's interesting about that is I kind of wish it was someone a little bit younger because I would like to get 10 to 20 years out of Bob Chapek if he's good. Because anytime there's transition, you have to reevaluate. Maybe Chapek's going to say, you know, I hate the movies. I hate Pixar. We're going to sell Pixar. We don't know. So anyhow, and anyway, you can find me online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. So yesterday was one, an interesting day. We started talking about how many thousand point down days has the Dow Jones ever had. I think we were up to three at that point. It doesn't mean as much because it's a bigger number. The Dow Jones, when it's at 25,000, a thousand point drop is... 4%, right? But when it's at 10,000, it's a 10% drop. So it's all relative to where you're starting from. Will we go up 1,000 points today? today? <laughs> That's a big question, right? Uh, let's talk to Patrick O'Hare. Will we get the rebound? Do we get the dead cat bounce? Do we get the buy on the debt? Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com here to answer that question. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, good morning, Rob. I'm doing well. Thank you. Now, since we lost a thousand points, we're going to get it all. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> um, I, I, I think uh, the best uh, guess here is that yeah, you do see uh, you know a bounce here off of this short-term oversold condition. Uh, obviously, the question is uh, both in terms of magnitude and sustainability. So I don't think we're going to get the thousand points uh, back right away. Um, and in terms of the sustainability, um, uh, that's that's still very much an open question. And then I think it's going to hinge in large part on what uh, what unfolds in the Treasury market of all places. 
I was reading your page one this morning, as I do every day, Monday through Friday, at briefing.com. I've been using briefing.com. It's the only financial media service I've been using for 20-plus years. Um, I saw something that jumped out, and I I want to ask you. You mentioned something about a 200-day moving average and a 50-day moving average, a 100-day moving average as well. There's listeners and there's readers out there of briefing.com. Talk to us a little bit more about moving averages and how much faith you put in them versus how much scientific fact, if that makes any sense. Right. Well, there was. Uh, I do have to give some credit to uh, to Bob Sani on CBC. You know, and he he, he brought out a good uh, adage yesterday that you know when the stock market doesn't know what's going on fundamentally, it, it tends to uh, trade technically. Um, and and I say that because I have to issue the caveat: I'm not a technical analyst, but obviously there are plenty of people and market participants who do use technicals as their, their guidepost in terms of how they're going to approach the market. And, you know, a, a, a 200-day moving average is, is just that in terms of, you know, what the average price is over that 200-day period. And uh, and the reason it's been uh, identified really as a, quote, key technical support level is that for many, for quite some time here, it's, it's, um, uh, it, it's provided some important support on some important pullbacks in the market, um, and, uh, and it's, you know because it's a, a longer term trend indicator, when it gets violated on a closing basis, it does raise some concerns that uh, that there's a real trend shift taking place within the in the market that could invite a you know deeper and more long lasting corrective move. Uh, if not even give way to an actual bear market. So so these these levels are, are watched closely, uh, and, um, you know, and the 200 days is still intact here. We didn't come down and, and test it, which is right around 3,045 on the S&P 500. But some people think to get a sense of uh, the conviction of any rebound effort and to get a better sense that the, a rebound effort would have substantial sustainability is that you'd have to come down and test that 200-day moving average. So uh, we haven't done that. Uh, we may not, but it's certainly a, a key level that um, plenty of technicians uh, have their eye on right now. Sounds good. Um, the way I'm trying to explain it on television, I get a lot of, <clears throat> I'm not going to say simple questions. I get a lot of simple questions. They say something along the lines of like, well, does this mean we should buy? And I go, well, if there's coronavirus death in the United States tomorrow, we're down another thousand. So it's, I want to say it definitively means to buy. I, I see it more as an art, and it's, it's tough to put a finger on. Is that, is that fair? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's. I think that's a, a fair characterization. And I think right now, when people you know struggle with that question, it's you know a lot of people frame it uh, to. To me, in terms of you know what individual stock should I be buying right now, and and I think it's really not uh, so much a case of thinking in terms of individual stocks so much as it's a case of thinking of portfolio construction, you know, um, and you know taking a, a bigger picture look at things and is your portfolio diversified enough to to mitigate the risk of outsized losses when you get into a fast market like the one we've seen over the last several sessions, you know, um, is it insulated against a uh, potential recession unfolding, uh, you know, in, you know, how is it balanced relative stocks versus bonds, cash, gold, and, and whatnot. And that's really the, I think, the bigger question that, you know, people need to be taking account of right now. And, it, and it's going to be different, obviously, based on one's time horizon, risk tolerances, uh, etc. So you can't, there's not a, a good uniform answer to the question. I think that, you know, you can generically 
generically say, uh, and you've got enough historical experience to fall back on, that if you have a, a longer-term investment mindset, you're talking, you know, 10-plus years, you know, it, it makes sense to keep dollar cost averaging, uh, in, you know, in markets like this, and, and it's, you know, likely to prove uh, profitable in the end. So just a lot depends, and there's a lot uh, wrapped up in a question like that. And I'll throw on what you just talked about, keeping money going into your 401ks and dollar cost averaging. Every year plays out different. Some year it starts hot and it's cold. Some year it starts cold and it's hot. Some years it's up and down, up and down, up and down. Some years it's three months down, nine months up. So it seems like we're playing into just keep dollar cost averaging again. Let's change topics. <clears throat> um, you talked a little bit about Disney having a new CEO, and I'm working on that today because I own shares of Disney. Um, any thoughts on success or failure starts at the top and Disney and what a wonderful, what a wonderful company. That's the wonderful world of Disney. What a wonderful world Disney's been for you and me, Mr. O'Hare, since we were children. We've known this company for a long time. Thoughts? Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, you know, I, th- I think the the initial announcement, you know, certainly came as, as a, sh- a bit of a shock. Um, but I think, you know, one of the, the strongest mitigating factors right now is that, uh, well, Mr. Iger, who's just done a you know, fabulous job as CEO there. Um, he's not he's not exiting stage left, so to speak. I mean, he's he's hanging around still uh, in a creative role, and and, and incidentally, and perhaps very tellingly, um, the new CEO Bob Chapek is he's actually going to be reporting to Mr. Iger. So, um, you know, Mr. Iger's not leaving for another twenty two months, uh, and and I think it, it's been somewhat comforting to know that. Uh, he's still going to have a presence here while in this, uh, I guess you could call it a transitional period in, with a new CEO. Um, so the stock, you know, is down a little bit today, but when you think of someone that has the stature of Mr. Iger and what he's done to elevate that company into a media powerhouse as well as an enter- continued entertainment powerhouse, um, the fact that the stock's down less than 1%. Today, I think you know underscores that that modicum of relief that it's not just you know Mr. Chapek taking over immediately and Mr. Iger's out the door, um, and Mr. Iger's still part of it and will still you know be able to provide his own uh, insight and wisdom to uh, to his successor to hopefully uh, you know keep the momentum going and, and Disney's really impressive story. I'll give the last two minutes to you to talk about whatever you want to talk about or whatever you're working on. Ball is in your court, Mr. O'Hare. Right. Well, I, you know, I, of course, everyone is talking about the coronavirus, and, and there's there's no way around it right now. Certainly, as a market analyst, and um, and I think it is a you know you're in an interesting juxtaposition here because um, you know what you've uh, intersection I should say um, is, is that you know you have a, a market that's getting increasingly anxious about this idea that the, the virus is going to spread globally to a pandemic, and that you might have similar lockdown effects hitting in other major developed areas, namely the United States and Europe, uh, that you saw take place in China. And what that will ultimately lead to, if that does prove to be the case, is certainly a downturn in consumer and business spending that's going to force the market to obviously rethink its whole earnings outlook. And I think that's what's been behind this multiple compression of late here is because there is some of that fear building that this might be a deeper and longer-lasting earnings impact than previously thought. So my big picture this week is going to kind of concentrate on that idea and take stock of what earnings estimates are right now and where they may be headed. Thanks very much. Have a good day. 
good luck with your trading. Uh, talking with Patrick O'Hare at briefing.com. I start my day every day with this column. One of the things that it does is it kind of gives you some perspective. I think that helps enormously. If that's not your cup of tea, there's the big picture. Big picture is going to be doing analysis of major issues impacting the financial markets, like the 10-year treasury note. Um, that's at briefing.com. They show a really nice set of charts in the big picture. They say, okay, the 10-year treasury is going from 1.6 to 1.4. Gold futures are going from, gold prices are going from 1,200 to 1,600. The dollar is going from strong to weaker, back to strong. And it kind of helps you saying, okay, what's this all mean? And they're trying to give you the big picture, pull it all together. Um, they'll put Tesla and Virgin Galactic side by side. And we take a look at their charts. They look exactly the same. It's as if we were in a ghost movie on Netflix or something like that. And they're like, you see anything in these two pictures? You, the picture of Tesla stock and the picture of, of Virgin Galactic stock chart? You, know, you see anything? And someone goes, oh, my God, it's the same chart. It's parabolic. So I feel that the market has some issues, and I think Briefing's doing a nice job of pointing that out to me. They're saying things like Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon. They're overcrowded. They're overbought. They're overvalued. And then you get parabolic you know, sector like Tesla and Virgin Galactic going, and it shows you that you know the setback that we've had this week in the stock market, it's coming on the back of just unbelievable moves in the stock market. So the coronavirus should be scary because things were good at the party and don't take away the punch ball. You can find briefing.com at briefing.com. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. This is AJR. This is a band I found last year. I'm a little late to the party, but catchy music. I spend a lot of time reading and researching, and my, my one guilty joy, it's not TV, it's not sitcoms, it's listening to music. What I like about this band is they're young, three brothers from New York, and that gives me hope. Like Kids today are pretty smart. They're counting beats per minute in the song, they're counting words per minute. Very scientific approach. Very mathematical approach to music. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. One stock, I, not stock, one concept I want to talk about, because I haven't talked about it in a while, is video games. Fortnite made $1.8 billion last year. Good news or bad news? That's a lot of money. We don't know their cost of revenue, the cost of labor. There's, there's costs involved with pulling that kind of money in. You've got to rent servers. you got to have computers for your employees. Fortnite draws in more players, viewers, and money than most other online games. They've had their most popular player, Tyler Ninja Blevins. He was on The Masked Singer and Jimmy Kimmel this year. That's kind of telling you that it's getting kind of um, mainstream. It's got an NFL partnership. It has its own toys. Do you remember the magic of toys when you were a child? You so badly, badly wanted, I don't know, a Hulk Hogan doll or a 
stretch that magnificent doll and you're like stretch the doll like yeah you could get your brother and you could get in different rooms and try to break his arms by pulling them they're all rubberized toys used to be magical I wonder if they still are, because Fortnite sells toys. $1.8 billion of revenue last year. It's a free-to-play game, and that's where you scratch your head, and you go, what do you mean free-to-play? So you got to start seeing the business model in it. And this is a business, this is something you can teach your kid today. Even any dads I meet that are impressed that I play video games with my kids, they're like, whoa. I don't like, well, I get a monitor, and I get to talk about the business model. You know, do you want to pay 60 bucks for a one-time game? Nope. Do you want to play free? But then you have to pay for other things that other people... Yeah, then you have to keep up with the Joneses, what they're buying? Nope. Season 2, Chapter 2, kicked off, I want to say, about a week ago? Yep. It added a secret agent theme and cameo from uh, Marvel's Marvel's Deadpool? So Deadpool's going to be part of the season this year. They put a lot of money into the... Not a lot of money, I don't know. They've put a lot of effort into the secret agent theme. But even with all that, the momentum is starting to wane. So once you get your top player ninja on the mass Singer, maybe you've hit a peak. Once you get Deadpool, maybe you're starting to stretch and say, we need new skins and new ideas that are going to relate to people. Now, Deadpool's a rated R movie. They also just had some skins from Harley Quinn, The Birds of Prey. And that's a rated R movie. And last year, that one of their big crossovers, well, obviously Star Wars, but also John Wick, where you can get a character that looks just like John Wick for $10. And all it is is a digital cartoon that you get to play with, right? An avatar. We all saw the movie Avatar. Dude was in a wheelchair, but on the planet, he was super powerful. Same concept. Nine-year-old kid could look like Hulk Hogan. If he pays $9.99 for the Hulk Hogan skin. So talk to your kids about the business model. When Pokemon Go came out and my kids got nuts about it, there were still data plans. They were, it wasn't unlimited data. So you had to say you could only play for 20 minutes a day. Tell them why. Fortnite, 2018, had $2.4 billion in revenues. Now it's down to $1.8 billion. Some of the closest players in this world of revenue, Pokemon Go, League of Legends, Dungeon Fighter Online, Crossfire, Honor of Kings, Fate Grand Order, Fortnite. If you know those games, you probably have way too much time on your hands. Maybe not working. Maybe you're in a hospital room recovering from uh, amnesia. I don't know. Were those the greatest movies? Talking about a great childhood of of wonderful uh, toys. But uh, the movies where someone's like, I don't know who I am. And you're like, okay, it's okay, Rebecca. I'll stay by your side. You used to love me, Rebecca. You'll love me again. You're like, Rebecca. So in 2018, Fortnite's revenue was ridiculous. 2019, it's starting to come down. It's starting to culminate. It's starting to pass. And you can find it in other areas, too. Like hours spent playing. This is data that's all kind of out there. You go, well, is it Wall Street data? It's not. But if you could invest in a company that has seen hours played go from 58 million uh, to 80 million to 81 million hours to 83 million to 97 million, you kind of see the growth, right? The numbers don't lie to you. 
So Fortnite's still king for now, but it's going to lose its, its, its luster at some point. <clears throat> in, the, in the end, though, they're also trying to build a community. You can play with your friends. You can talk with your friends. You can now video chat with your friends. You can now audio chat with your friends in a group. And they're encouraging it. Uh, with all the skins you could put together, and skins are just the avatars. There's probably, I don't know, if I were to guess, 20 a season. So there's probably 200 of them out there. Um, and I don't know that to be true. But my son was showing me, like, there's a fashion show now. <clears throat> You're saying fashion show. Yeah, they're, they're, these people will set up a server, and they'll say, you know, 100 people can come in, and they have a virtual shotgun. And as you march through, <clears throat> you try to pick, like, all your funniest costumes or the best that look together or the, the ones that are the scariest. And you have to dance for the judges. So there's now a talent show based on what your skins look like and whether or not you could dance and make the judges happy. And if they're not happy, they shoot you and you die and you're out of the game. It's ridiculous. But it's a social thing that my, my kid's like, I want to do a fashion show. Consumes his time, it consumes his eyeballs, consumes his revenue. A fashion show in virtual reality. Are you kidding me? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, more. Find me online at newfocusfinancial.com.